0: We are making our trek through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, And so we're going to ask for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. You go towards the middle. You'll hit something like the book of Psalms, and then there's Proverbs, and then there's Ecclesiastes. And so we've been listening to wisdom from the author that we call the preacher. So you'll hear me throughout the sermon refer to the uh, author of the book as the preacher. And so we'll say that the preacher is speaking to us. The word Ecclesiastes uh, is a Greek word which refers to the preacher, the convener, the assembler. And so that's why we call it the preacher. And so we are now in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse beginning with verse number 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning with verse number 8. Before you Uh, stand to read for the reading of God's word, let me say two things. We are committed in, we are commanded in scripture to do certain things when we gather together corporately. We are to sing the word, preach the word, pray the word, uh, read the word, um, and see the word. In other words, there should be visible signs The gospel that's why we believe in baptism and the Lord's communion or the Lord's supper here at the bridge. These are things that we are commanded to do in Scripture. Um, here at the bridge, we are intentional about those things, so we read Scripture uh, every Sunday morning when we gather, and there will be times where we read a large chunk of Scripture. At one time, I told our elder, I've told someone, i talked to so many people, I told someone the reason we do that is because number one, we need to read God's word. This is how God has spoken to us, and so we need to hear from heaven, and God has given it through His word. Second, we're commanded to read, to, to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture. But thirdly, lives are busy, and so I'm going to be gracious about this. But for a number of people in the church, this is the one time during the week where they will open the word of God and read the word of God and hear from God. And so I don't want to cheat you by only reading you a few scriptures at a time. And so this morning we've got a larger section of scripture. And guess what? We're going to stand and read it all. Because it's God's word. I've told you before, if you can stand for 15 minutes to listen to the worship team sing, you can stand uh, for two minutes to hear God speak. Secondly, that's the reading of God's word. Secondly, we pray intentionally. And we are intentionally um, trying not to just give short prayers. Short prayers are powerful prayers, by the way. We are not against short prayers. Peter, he's on the water. He's about to drown. The three-word prayer. Lord, save me. You should, if he had been real long, he'd have been... <laughs> so short, pow- short prayers can be very powerful and effective. So don't think even in your personal life when you have to pray that it has to be something that you have to do for 10 minutes long. If the Spirit convicts you and urges you to pray and you can only pray three sentences, it's better that you pray those three sentences than you don't pray at all. Prayerlessness is a sin, church. We are commanded to pray. And when we don't... Now, we're not going to be legalistic about it because the Bible says we ought to pray without ceasing, which means that we pray constantly, we pray regularly, but it doesn't tell us exactly how many times per day to pray. So I don't want you to... Uh, uh, feel bound that you got to pray a certain amount of times to be a good Christian. But we are told to pray without ceasing. So we should, we want to cultivate a habit of prayer in our church and we're going to emphasize that in 2018 and beyond. But we intentionally get up here and we take our time and we tell God, God we need you to intervene. We are dependent on you. And so we take our time to pray Uh, to acknowledge who God is, to pray for the lost, to pray for our church, to pray for our leaders in our church, to pray for our government leaders because prayer is crucial. And I think if we would get back to that at the church, we would see revival um, in the church and in our world. I said all that to say, please stand so I can read a lot of scripture to you. Ecclesiastes chapter five, beginning with verse number eight. If you don't have... um, uh, a physical copy or a Bible app to look on to, you can follow us along on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Here's how it reads. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they also increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. vexation, and sickness, and anger. Verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun in the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with his joy, with joy in his heart. Chapter 6, verse 1. There is an evil. That I have seen under the sun. And it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possession, and honor. So that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than heat. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seats. America has been described as the land of opportunity. Oftentimes, that opportunity is equated with being wealthy. It is assumed that money is the answer to everything. People try multiple ways to become wealthy. They, they ambitiously climb the corporate ladder in order to enter the C-suite. I just learned this, by the way, like yesterday, actually. The C-suite is the corporate level executive. It's called the C-suite because all their titles begin with the letter C. And so they climb the corporate ladder to become some corporate executive to become wealthy. Others try luck. So they rush to the Kansas Star Casino. If they don't try the casino, then they play the Kansas lottery. Friends, generally speaking, We are a nation that worships at the altar of materialism. We want more, more, more. Today, we are privileged to hear wisdom from the richest man to ever live. Friends, this man had no shortage of gold. He had an an, an abundance of workers, women, and wealth. And his word to us today is money is not the solution to all of your problems. This comes from the richest man to ever live. Quite the opposite happens to be the case, the preacher says. Money oftentimes multiplies our problems. Therefore, the message from this wealthy preacher to us today is instead of pursuing wealth, enjoy what you already have. So today, let's look at what the preacher has to say to us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 beginning with verse 8 and concluding with chapter 6, verse 9. Before we get to the text, I have to forewarn you that my outline today, you it's going to look convoluted because I go to chapter, in one point, I go to chapter five and then drop down to the end of chapter six. Then I go to point two and I come back to chapter five and then I go to the beginning of chapter six. Then for my final point, I just go right to the middle of the section. And so if you're trying to f- follow the flow of the structure of the sermon, which I've tried to uh, follow the flow of the text, you're going to look at me like, Brandon, did you just pick and choose? Well, you wanted to have three points, been a Baptist preacher? The unit that we have today is arranged in what is called a chiastic structure. C H I A S T I C. Chiastic comes, it's a chiasm. And what it is, if you really look, The unit is kind of like a sandwich. And the first part of the unit, the preacher talks about uh, what's vain. This wealthy man, uh, and he's hoarding his money and what have you. Then in the last section, he talks about all this evil. This man has everything, uh, but he can't enjoy it. And then in the middle, he talks about this is what is good. That's the climax. And so when you look at a chiastic structure, it looks like a, a, a triangle that's on its side. And so what a chiasm is, it is a literary device in which the repetition of similar ideas is presented in reverse sequence. Okay, Brandon, rewind, press play. We're gonna get it, I promise you. A chiasm is a literary device in which we see the repetition of similar ideas In reverse order. You use chiasms. You don't believe me. When the going gets tough, y'all using chiasm. Tough gets going. We're going to reverse the idea. When the going gets tough, excuse me, now the tough gets going. That's a chiasm. Try it again. By failing to prepare. You are preparing to fail. Chiasm, very simple. Fail, prepare, prepare to fail. And so, this is the literary device that the preacher uses here in Ecclesiastes. Let me show it to you. Pull it up for me, Caitlin. He starts the idea, he starts the unit by talking about people who cannot be satisfied, the wealthy. Or, or those who love wealth. Those who pursue wealth. That's important. At the end of the section, he talks again about people who cannot be satisfied. Second, he talks about people who cannot enjoy. Chapter 6, verse 3 through 6, he talks again about people who, who cannot enjoy. Then he tells us what is good and what is bad. And then in the middle of this chiasm, you're going to see the climax. Enjoy the moment. I just want you to know that I didn't go crazy when I was putting my outline together. You're with me. Let's work through it. The preacher says, first of all, people who pursue wealth cannot be satisfied. People who, can, who pursue wealth cannot be satisfied. He opens the, this unit, chapter 5, verse 8, with a statement about the poor. His word to us is, don't be amazed when we see the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness. The question that you must ask is, why should we not be amazed? On one hand, the preacher has already told us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in verse 4 that the pursuit of wealth is the result of greed and envy of one's neighbor. And this results in the oppression of the poor. On the other hand, The preacher says we should not be amazed because there is an inherent system in place that is devised to keep the poor down. I didn't make it up. Look at the the text, chapter 5, verse 8. He says, don't be amazed when you see this oppression because there is a high official who is watched by a higher, and yet there are yet higher ones over them. So the preacher is saying, you ought not be amazed at the oppression of the poor because there is systemic and institutionalized oppression of the poor. He says, they watch out. One another. That word watch means that these government officials literally look out for one another, but no one else. The preacher in Ecclesiastes, not this one, who I agree with, by the way, he says that the government and the land works only for the rich and the powerful. That's what the preacher said. And there is no concern for the poor. Friends, oppression and corruption are greatest where the love of money is the greatest. And what was happening in the ancient Near East is still happening in America today. Now, I call America out a lot. For the record, I love America. And I'm glad to be in America. Is that what it says? Proud to be in America. where at least I know. Yeah. I love America, and I'm thankful for America. But even in my beloved America, there are still systems of injustice and oppression. And the Bible teaches us that to ignore and neglect the poor is injustice and oppression of the worst kind. And my prayer is that the church would rise up and recover her prophetic voice so that she can speak truth to power. Friends, we need to hold our high officials accountable for how they treat the poor. We need to work to tear down systems of injustice. This is not a pet peeve of this pastor. This is an implication of the gospel. Here's how the Bible explains the gospel. Jesus, who was rich, became poor on our behalf. That's in the book. So that we who are poor could become rich spiritually. This is gospel stuff. Now, this is near and dear to my heart as well, but I don't want you to think I get up here and preach my pet peeve or my opinion. This is why I like preaching just through the books of the Bible because y'all can't accuse me of having some agenda. This is what just showed up for this week's text. Do you, have you ever wondered why the poor in a lot of our cities are concentrated in a certain area? Systems of oppression. Have you wondered Why there is generational poverty. And guess what? Everybody that's poor is not poor because they're lazy. I'm not getting a love offering this week. Everybody that's poor is not poor because they're lazy. Everybody that's poor is not going to come out of poverty just by working harder. Do not believe the lies, church. Some of the hardest working and most generous people I know are poor folk. It's the ones that have money that I have to get up here and beg to give to God. That's just one example. And unfortunately, in the church, in the church, we've become so concerned with enabling the poor, that it's paralyzed us to do nothing. And we have dishonored God, and we've dishonored the dignity of these people who have been created in the image of God, and we are disobeying the great commandment, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the preacher says here, There there is a system and an institution by which it perpetuates poverty in the land. That's why, that's why we have to think, think when we vote. Now, I'm not trying to make Democrats into Republicans, and I'm not trying to make Republicans into Democrats and all of you into independents. That's not my goal. You can vote for whoever you want to. But the, the, the word on the street is we're supposed to vote our values. That's what I hear. Have you heard that? You can talk back to me. It's okay. A value of people that have been redeemed by the gospel is that they love the poor. And so any system that operates that keeps down the poor, we've got to tear it down, church. You can talk about how to in your small groups. So he starts by talking this statement about the poor. Why would he talk about the poor? Because a lot of times the injustice is because of the greed of those who have money and power. So he moves from... This observation about the poor, he says, let me talk now, those who love money and wealth. He starts with verse 10. He begins to make a case as to why the pursuit of wealth is a sad investment. First, he says, those who pursue wealth are never satisfied. In other words, they are never content. Have you guys ever heard of a a, a fellow by the name of John D. Rockefeller? Good, he was really rich. Someone asked John D. Rockefeller, "How much money is enough?" His reply: "Just a little bit more." John D. Rockefeller knew that I, you can never be satisfied with a certain amount of money. The preacher helps us to understand that money is not necessarily the solution to all of life's problems. The preacher says, in some ways, they can actually multiply your problems. And all the broke folks say, really? In the words of the infamous and poetic, notorious B-I-G, Mo' Money, more Problems. And so you're sitting up here asking me, how so? Well, I'll let the preacher, the richest man that ever lived, ask you this. He says, the reason it can multiply your problems is because when goods increase, they increase who eat them. In other words, the preacher says, the more you get, the more consumers there are. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. I've heard a lot of women say, I do not want a real big house because I don't want because uh, I'm not going to do all that real big cleaning. Bigger house. Now there's a new consumer, the maid. A bigger lawn, another consumer, the gardener. More kids, another consumer, the nanny. More money, somebody needs to manage that money. You got to pay the broker. Now you need a gated neighborhood. You need personal assistance. You're going to get letters in the mail from charities saying, can you help us? Family that you never knew. They go looking you up on Ancestry.com. You know we, our great-grandmother was cousins to to your great-great-great-grandmother. And I'm like, I don't know none of them. And I don't know you, bro. But money... And the way it works in American culture is, now you're in a new tax bracket. So now, Uncle Sam is a bigger consumer. This is what the idea is behind when the preacher says, the more goods you have, the more consumers there are. You got more bills to pay. Because remember, enough is never enough. In verse 12, he says that the pursuit of wealth is also a sad investment. Because it can lead to restlessness. The wealthy person, the, the person that loves wealth, that pursues wealth, has more worries, more stress. They're worried about revenue and expenses and profit and payroll and research and development. And the preacher says, the richest man who ever lived says, in contrast, the old regular laborer is able to rest well regardless of where he is in life. Why? Because he doesn't have the worries and stress of this person that is pursuing wealth. He has learned to be content in whatsoever state he's in. The preacher's conclusion to all this is that it's vanity. It's empty. It's a chasing after the wind. It's a vapor. So he says... First of all, in regards to to wealth, those who pursue it will never be satisfied. Then secondly, he makes the point about the evil of people who can't even enjoy wealth and money and possession. Look, look, look. The preacher starts the second section of this sandwich with some very strong words. In verse 13, he says, there is a grievous evil. The same phrase shows up again in verse number 13. When we go down to the other part of this section, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. At the end of verse 2, chapter 6, he says something, he calls something a grievous evil once again. What then is this grievous evil? I'm glad you asked. In the first section, section, chapter 5, verse 13 through 17, he talks about a man that has kept all his riches to his hurt. In other words, this man was a hoarder of his riches. And the one time he decided to stop hoarding all his money and invest it so he can get more money, the one time he did that, he lost everything. The pursuit of money, church, is not only a sad investment, but it's also a bad investment investment. Why? Because you can have money one day and none the next day. Remember some of those people in 2008? The greatest recession since the Great Depression? Friends, all it takes is one bad investment and you can be completely wiped out. All it takes is a tweet by a very important person, and the stock market will go down. All it takes is one crooked investor, and it's gone. Preacher says it's a bad investment to pursue wealth. Because you can be here one day and go another. It's not, now, it's also a bad investment, according to the preacher, because you work, you toil, and you work, and you toil to accumulate all of this wealth, all of this money, all these possessions, and you can't take any of it with you. Verse 15, 16 of chapter 5, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil, just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Preacher teaches us very simply that you can work so hard for possessions, but the problem is you can't take anything with you when you leave this place. You come here with nothing, you leave here with nothing. If I were to call a witness, I'd call a man by the name of Job. And Job would tell you, you can have a lot one day and lose everything the next. Lost his money, his possessions, his family, nothing. chapter 6 he gives us another case study about why the, uh, this is an evil that you can't enjoy what God is giving you. The rich man, he says in chapter 6, has wealth possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing he desires yet God does not give him power to enjoy them but a stranger enjoys them the preacher says, this reality is a grievous evil. This, this idea behind a grievous evil, he says, it's sickening. It's sickening to have all this and you can't even enjoy it. So preacher, you talked about the evil of not being enjoying things. You, talk, you said that I shouldn't pursue it. What is it that I am to do? To do? He would say, I'm glad you asked. Climax chapter 5, verses 18, 18 through twenty. He said, he would say to us, enjoy God's daily gifts. Beginning with verse number 18, the preacher says, this is what is good. By the way, in Scripture, good is oftentimes the opposite of evil. He just told us what was evil. Now he's telling us this is good. This is what is not evil. This is what is good and fitting. It is to eat and drink, and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. The preacher says to us that instead of pursuing wealth, find enjoyment in the common things of life. Food, drink, and work. The simple things of life. Now, now, now this is where somebody has been really you've been waiting for me the whole sermon to get to this one part. He teaches us something that's very critical to our understanding about money and wealth. Chapter 5 verse 19 Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possession. The preacher teaches us In those few words, that wealth and possessions in and of themselves are not evil. The opposite is the truth. Wealth and possessions can be gifts from the very hand of God. God is not against you being wealthy or having money, living comfortably, whatever it is. He, 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 the text says they are a gift from God. The text says he's talking about those who love money and wealth. Those who live for money and wealth. That's who he's against. The, the, Jesus said it this way. You cannot serve God and money. You must love the one and hate the other. There is no room in the heart of the child of God to serve both. It's either going to be God or it's going to be money, but it's not going to be both. It it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. So again, I keep reminding y'all this. Y'all act like y'all don't hear this. I want you to make lots of money. You have my pastoral permission to go make as much money as you can. God's not against that. But if you live for the money and for the wealth, if that's what you look for, the satisfaction and contentment and happiness and wholeness, the preacher says, it's all a vapor. You are literally grasping after nothing. Go, go, go catch the wind. It's impossible. And the preacher teaches us that it is impossible to find satisfaction in the things of this world. That void in your life can only be filled by the one who created you, God most holy. He says to those who have been given the gift of money and wealth, for all of us, by the way. All right. Let me make some more enemies. We talked about how we ought to protect the poor, love the poor care for the poor. Amen. On the other hand, help me, Holy Ghost. You making little money is no excuse for you not to be generous and honor God with your money. I got to balance this thing out. The giving that God honors is this widow She's got the equivalent of a penny. This is all she has. Her net worth is this penny. The widow with the two mites. And she takes it and brings it and gives it and puts it in the offering plate at the church. And Jesus says, this woman has given more than these rich people who gave out of their surplus. Because when we worship God through our giving, it is to be sacrificial. Not convenient. Ooh, y'all can, I can hear a rat tiptoe on cotton right now. The giving that God honors. The Bible says that there was a church In Macedonia and Achaia, there were churches in Macedonia and Achaia, and they took up money to help the church in Jerusalem who was experiencing a famine. And the Bible says, Paul says, that they gave out of their poverty. Not their abundance or their surplus. So you don't wait until you have enough to give. By the way, this is not, a, again, this is not a commercial for you, for us increasing the the, the the general fund here at the British Church. This is about your worship to a most holy God. This is a discipleship issue. I wish I had a witness in here. Somebody come get me. Is there any elders in here who can say amen or something? You don't wait till you have enough to start honoring God. The Bible says we ought to give from our first Fruits. Not when you have enough fruits. And I know it's hard. It, it, this, it's unfathomable. It makes no sense whatsoever. Welcome to following Christ. Be not dismayed. Whatever be tied. God will. Listen, church. I am a living witness. I know what it's like to have a $1,400 mortgage and, don't, and have nothing in the bank. But I've never got an eviction notice. Now, I'm about to run. I know what it's like to have a negative bank account. Not since I've been pastoring the bridge. Y'all take good care of me. But I know what it's like to have a negative bank account and the electricity company want their money and the gas company want their money. And you got two little leeches saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. But I can testify like the psalmist says, I've I've never, I was young and now I'm old, but never have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God will take care of you. The one time God says you can try me is when it comes to money. Bring your tithes. Uh, to the storehouse, that there might be meat in my house. And he says, try me. God says, test me. It is a sin in every other area of your life to test God. But God says, this is the one time I'm going to give you divine privilege, permission to try me. Give me some money. And see why i don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings well, should, that you won't even have room to receive. Now, 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 unless you accuse me of being a prosperity preacher, I'm not saying necessarily that 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 blessing is going to come back in the way of finances. It may. But sometimes he says, your blessing is you're going to have peace of mind. Sometimes I'm just going to put a hedge of protection around you because everybody else is getting the flu, but you're going to be okay. Because you ain't got no money to go to the doctor. I'm serious. But God will protect you from some things. Everybody else around you, there's a, there's a hail storm, and everybody else's roof is all messed up. You know you ain't got no money to meet that deductible. And they come knocking on your door. Can I look at your roof? Sure. You ain't going to get nothing, but sure, go up there. And he says, your neighbor on your right, they had severe hell damage. They need a brand new roof. And the neighbor on your left has $50,000 worth of roof damage, but I went on top of your roof. And it looks like you were just completely covered. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I don't normally behave like this, but I'm, I know what God can do. I, I, I know the Lord will make a way somehow. Watch here. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. You got to be in the Black Baptist Church. You know what I'm talking about now. Yes, he will. Don't know how, but I know he will. Now, none of that was in my transcript, so let's get, on, get back on top of it. Instead of pursuing wealth, here's what I think the preacher of preachers would say, Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the things that you want, all the things that you think you need, food, clothing, a roof on your head, they'll be added unto you. Now, some of the promises that I I just ran off a while ago, Everybody can claim those. Only those who trust in God can claim those promises. Only those who are part of his family can claim those promises. So are you a part of God's family? Now don't 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 join just for the benefits. And there's a great benefit package to following Jesus. But join God's family. Because you know you need to be right with your creator, and now you are not. And we all will face a day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, we'll either hear, enter into my rest, or go away from me, you worker of iniquity. We are sinners by nature. And we deserve eternal separation from God. But God has loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die our death, to die in our place. And he was buried and rose victoriously victoriously on the third day. And God offers to you today riches, They will never wear out. They will never rot. It's the gift of eternal life. And it is now yours to accept by faith. Or reject. So we invite you. We beg of you. We urge you. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't delay. Trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. And I can give you this sweet assurance. God will take care of you. He'll take care of your soul so that it's with him in eternity. But we don't have a faith that's just for the sweet by and by. Our faith affects us here and now. God will take care of you. He will protect you. He will change you. He will transform you. But you've got to trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Nothing else. Nobody. Nothing. Somebody else is here today. And you're saved. You're in the family. But maybe you have, you're guilty of the sin of unfaithfulness, of not trusting God to be your sole provider. You stay up late at night worrying about your bank account. Your security is in your money. A preacher reminds us today that even if you have a lot of money, it is possible that God won't give you the gift of enjoying it and that is a miserable life you think having no money is miserable try having it and not being able to enjoy it